podcast contains mature content. Listener discretion is advised. Addiction. Noun. The factor condition of being addicted to a particular substance, thing, or activity. An overwhelming compulsion. What makes us fall into the world of drugs and addiction? Why can some of us dabble in the illicit and walk away unscathed? while others of us travel downward into the deep spiral of addiction. Humans have always had a fascination with the allure of getting high. Our obsession with drugs isn't a new societal epidemic, but one that has actually has its roots dating back to the ancient days of mankind. While the drugs we utilize to try and get high nowadays may have shifted, Our fascination with the darkened path of addiction has not changed. If you or a loved one have been struggling with addiction, or have in the past, and would like to share your story, please feel free to reach out to me via social media or through email at juryroompodcast at gmail.com. This is Addicted, a Jury Room production. Coming soon to wherever you listen to this podcast. Hello, my name is Courtney, and I am one half of a Nefarious Nightmare podcast. I reached out to Kevin from the Jury Room podcast, one of my favorite ethical true crime podcasts, by the way, top-notch job, Kevin, and asked him if we could do an episode swap. He said to me, of course, and honestly, I'm actually very humbled by that. I wanted to take the time to thank you, Kevin, because you really do stand out in this little podcasting community as supportive. You probably also stand out because your favorite color is bright-ass orange, but I digress. Kevin is sharing with you all the case of Jennifer Doherty, who was murdered by a bunch of total and complete garbage people. I really hope you all take away a lesson or two from this, because it somewhat highlights one thing that I stand very passionately against, which is bullying. And fair warning, the audio quality was just starting to improve as of that episode, and I had the Omicron variant of COVID. So, an additional warning there on top of our usual content warning. Anyway, thank you so much, Kevin, for having us here, and thank you for always keeping it ethical and being a true class act. Before we begin this week's episode, I'd like to start with a content warning. This podcast includes foul language and includes discussions of violent crimes. Some topics may be triggering and may include depictions of sexual assault, gore, torture, suicidal ideation, or discussions of mental health. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Hey, Courtney. Hey, Amanda. Before we get grimy, can we discuss the end of 2021? Yeah. What the fuck? Betty White passed just hours before 2022 and just weeks before her 100th birthday. The universe lost their grandma December 31st, 2021. May she forever rest in peace. Thank you for being a friend, Betty White. I concur. Also, another horrible thing that happened is Joe Gatto from Impractical Jokers left the show. What? Joe Gatto, he's actually one of my idols, for real. I'm gonna miss him. You know, he did the whole... Larry! Yeah, I, I'm sure you've seen that, but... Oh, yeah. Yeah, Impractical in, in Little Jokers is not gonna be the same. 
It's gonna be weird. I watch this show all the time, a lot of times with the kids, and he's my favorite. Mine too. I wish him all the best, that's for sure. Yeah. I know more things like, um, happen like Omicron. Which we strongly believe that me and my entire family had, so, you know, we'll not talk about that anymore, so. Given Betty White and Joe from Impractical Jokers and Omicron, I just hope that 2022 plays out on a lot better of a scale than 2021. I mean, we all can hope, but it's kind of a common theme every year to want a better, to want to be better than last year. But you know, anyway, for this episode, I would go on a whole spiel about bullying and broken telephone, but instead I'm going to encourage everybody to go listen to Justin Barnard's case before this one if you if you haven't heard it already. Yes, a lot of similarities. So with that, Courtney is allowing me to do the honors of introducing this episode. Go for it. Welcome to The Wolf Pack of Greensburg, The Murder of Jennifer Doherty. begin this by saying fuck the greensburg six is that safe to say absolutely yes spoiler alert fuck the greensburg six or what i've called them the failed wolf pack of greensburg did they all end up with their heads shaved after everything was said and done because they all got head lice yep and i will go on record to say that if you contract head lice It doesn't necessarily make you a dirty or a nasty person. I can honestly say that almost all of us have had head lice at one point or another. I mean, I had it twice, uh, elementary school and germ sharing, am I right? But it's not a fun thing to have, and it also kind of gives you an idea of the conditions that these people were collectively living in. So to that, I will say, ha ha. (laughs) Yeah, ha ha. Okay, so getting right to it. Who is... Jennifer Doherty. Now, um, I do have the proper pronunciation for her last name, but I can't promise that I will be correct every single time because, you know, when you see her last name, the first thing that, well, the first thing that I see is Daughtery or Doherty, but it's actually just Doherty. So Doherty is the correct pronunciation here. So (sighs) got that out of the way. So Jennifer Lee Doherty was born in Mount Pleasant, Pennsylvania on November 8, 1979 to Father Richard Doherty of Pittsburgh and Mother Denise Murphy. At the time of Jennifer's passing, she had a stepfather, Bobby Murphy, also of Mount Pleasant. Jennifer was described as kind and a loving person who wanted nothing more than to have friends and cared deeply about people. She had a very easy time making friends too. Those close to her said that people warmed up to her really quickly. One thing to note here, as it is important to know, and it will get brought up several times, is that Jennifer had a fairly significant mental disability, and it was described that as a 30-year-old, she had more of the mentality and maturity of a 12-14-year-old. to 14 year old. While she had this mentality, she was still the kind of person who, you know, she wasn't out looking for trouble. You know, 
you know how like you have the adolescents who are rebellious and will do anything to rebel like me when I was 11 and 12 I mean (laughs) I'd see a pack of cigarettes I'd smoke them to look cool and to piss my mom off and then on the other side you know you have the adolescents who typically preferred being sweet and also had the sense to stay out of trouble like you know they doodle little hearts and flowers all over their notebooks and they generally just had this innocent disposition about them that was Jennifer. This is to show you that, yeah, it's so sad. This is to show you that the murder that took place was absolutely senseless. They all truly are. Yeah. But when you hear Courtney dive into this case, you'll understand the significance of that and of what happened. Okay, so again, before I continue, I will go on record to say that some of the offenders had dealt with trauma and abuse and what have you growing up. Yeah, we're not going to dive too deep into that because the intent here is not to dissuade you all into seeing the brutality of the crime. Precisely. I'm not going to distract from the crime. The point is to not have empathy for the criminals. Now I'll give some details, but this isn't about the Greensburg Six and their upbringing. This is to raise more awareness about the victim, Jennifer Dougherty. So Jennifer Dougherty's last official words to her parents were a note she left, and it was not the suicide note you will hear about later on. But remember that But a note she left prior to meeting up with her friends that said, Mom, I hope you have a good day at work, and I love you very much. I will talk to you sometime later. Love, Jennifer. Jennifer was very close with her parents. They were keen to the fact that all Jennifer truly wanted was to be independent, and they basically gave her free reign to do what she wished being an adult. Didn't they take over her personal and important things, such as her finances? Yes, which was really smart because... Being someone who was easy to take advantage of, she absolutely needed that backing. So it wasn't exactly a conservatorship, but at the same time, it kind of was, and it was actually necessary. Unlike what happened to Britney Spears. Unlike Britney, she had a mental disability, so unfortunately, those who have had these intellectual disabilities tend to be a lot more vulnerable to predators. Yeah, you know, people who set out to hunt for people that take advantage of others. So one thing is that, according to several people, Jennifer trusted everyone and just wanted to be liked. I mean, that's all anybody truly wants anyway, is to be liked, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, this would unfortunately paint a big, giant target on her back for predators. And unfortunately, it did, as you are about to see. A well-established, meaning he had conducted thousands of autopsies of homicide victims, But a well-established forensic pathologist and also a former coroner, Cyril H. Wecht of Allegheny County said, quote, this is one of the most horrific cases I have ever seen. You have one young defenseless woman, six people who are keeping her captive and doing all of these things, knowing she is mentally challenged. Put it all together. It is bizarre. It is extreme barbarism. We were sort of chatting with Sabrina Thompson, the person who kind of reminded Courtney and I of this case, which I had on our list for some time. We all agreed that Jennifer and Justin Barnard would have made wonderful friends. If you have not heard of the Justin Barnard case, I highly encourage you to go look for it and listen. Episode 20, A Taboo Tango, The Murder of Justin Derek Barnard. Yeah, this case and his have an awful lot of similarities. Being that these were two kind-hearted people who just wanted to live and love and be loved in return, but were defenseless and had their lives stolen from them. The one difference here is that arguably, 
the brutality of the crimes committed against Jennifer is a little bit worse, just due to the nature of what had happened in the disability. And I mean, while all crimes to this degree are awful, and even if one is worse than another, the degree to which is worse is extremely slight. Yep, every single person in both cases that committed the acts, though, equally disturbing, like a gang of insecure dumbasses. Yeah, a failed wolf pack. So Jennifer had mentioned to her parents that she had made a group of new friends over in Greensburg. According to her stepfather, she would go to the bus and head to her doctor's appointments and whatnot in Greensburg, which was about 10 miles from Mount Pleasant, where they lived. So she would visit a community center also around there and. It was here where she made this group of friends, the first one being Peggy Miller. So February 10th of 2010, she told her mother and stepfather that she was going to her friend's apartment in Greensburg to sleep over, like a slumber party, you know? Uh, Her plan was to stay the night, go to her doctor appointment the next morning, and head back home to Mount Pleasant. That morning, she left a note with the above official last words that I mentioned earlier and also contact information so the parents knew how to get a hold of her. The last time that her parents saw her alive was when her stepdad dropped her off at a bus station. He had given her a kiss on her forehead and said goodbye, which breaks my heart in a million pieces. Right? So according to Morbidology, Morbidology, I think, which by the way, if y'all haven't you know heard that podcast, it's a great podcast. But she also had an article written. Um, I did get some of my information. So thank you, Emily Thompson of Morbidology for your article on this. Jennifer's mother, Denise, stated that her biggest regret was forcing her daughter to be an adult. To which I say, Denise did nothing wrong. She was trying to do right by her daughter. So. Absolutely. So Jennifer heads over to Ricky Smyrn's apartment where everyone, you know, the would-be Greenbird Six, were there. All of them were there. Jennifer evidently knew Angela Marinucci for quite some time. And they even used to chat on the phone often, didn't they? Yeah. Unfortunately, these people were not really Jennifer's friends. So who are the Greenberg Six? Okay, so the first one that I'll go into, Ricky Smyrns. Um, it's said that Smyrns was raped by his dad and uncle at a young age. His mom was a sex worker, which, you know, let me be clear, just because someone is a sex worker doesn't make them bad people. But the life of a sex worker can be pretty rough, depending on what the nature of the sex work is. And his dad was a gangbanger. So Smyrns was tossed around foster homes and had tried heroin, weed, cocaine, and alcohol at age six. What? Age six. So that kind of sets the tone about what his parents were like. Sure, what parents? They don't deserve that title. Oh yeah, well, you know, just wait. Um, he was also receiving treatment for mental health at age four. He was diagnosed with PTSD at the age of eight, which is incredibly young, okay? And his entire life, he suffered abuse and neglect until at the age of 10, the Smyrns family adopted him. So this is to go on record to say that this isn't exactly like the Smyrns family's fault. This is the people that prior to them had called themselves his parents, right? Gotcha. Okay. Um, So his lawyer also mentions that, quote, he had undergone 103 therapy sessions by age 10 and, quote, he was diagnosed as having as many as seven different personalities and 15 total psychiatric issues. 
Growing up, Smearns already had burglary and sexual assault charges where in 1997, where evidently he was 11 years old, born in 86, he had stolen weapons, cash, guitars from a neighbor, and that same year he had sexually assaulted a woman in her basement at 11, okay? Oh, 11 years, yeah, 11 years old. Smearns was known to be a predator that was vulnerable. He took advantage of a lot of people. So that's Smearns. Next is Angela Marinucci. She suffered a head injury when she was hit by a truck in 2008 at the age of 15. According to testimony by her mother and half-sister, the injury, quote, substantially altered her behavior, pushed her into a downward spiral that ended with Doggerty's death. Okay, so sure, that's why she did it, you know? <laughs> so two mental health experts testified that Marinucci as a child suffered from depression and that she may have had a drug and alcohol problem as a teenager, which honestly, in my opinion, sounds like most teenagers. Yeah, I mean, so she, it happens. Yeah, it does. Like depression, drug and yeah. alcohol. Like, I mean, that's a lot of hormones. A lot of teenagers. I mean, that's, you have to watch your children. If they're, I mean, so many different hormones and emotions and everything are running through them. You can't ignore your kids at that age just because you think they're grown up. And honestly, I don't think that they did. You'll you'll see a little bit more about her back history towards the end, but um, I don't think they ignored her. I think that this is their daughter and sister, and they did not want to see her have to go and you know serve the rest of her life for something that she did, you know. <laughs> but yeah. but yeah, I mean, I get it, but <laughs> yeah, I get it too. But I mean, Jesus Prime, Jesus Time. So exactly, I'm sorry. <laughs> so they, you know. They determined that she suffers from depression. Um, she was in a relationship with Smurns, and this is why she hates Jennifer. Like, she hates Jennifer because she's jealous, and it's a quote-unquote love triangle, right? So she's been inviting Jennifer to spend the weekend with Smurns over his phone. So basically, she's on Smurns' phone, and she's tricking Jennifer um, into thinking that it's him, but it's actually Marinucci. She was even heard telling someone that she was going to, quote, kill that bitch, end quote. So next is Peggy Miller. This is the first friend that Jennifer had made at this community center. Um, she was waiting at the bus station for Jennifer. And then there's Robert Masters, who is Peggy Miller's fiance and was also at the bus station waiting for Jennifer. And there's not a lot known about Peggy Miller or Robert Masters, so we'll move on. Melvin Knight, he is a big key player in this one. He met Smurns in prison, okay? Um, he had fallen from a moving vehicle at the age of five and also suffered a brain injury after that. So it's like a serial killer impu- impulse control issue. Where are all these people in the same space? I don't, I don't know, man. But half of them have brain injuries. Yeah. Um, he also was an abuse victim of his father. And then last but not least... Amber Medinger, and this is Knight's pregnant girlfriend. Okay? Yeah. And Jennifer made friends with Peggy? Yeah, so I don't know the backstory of how this all came about, except I do know that Jennifer and Angela Marinucci had been friendly for a while. Um, I believe that Jennifer had met Smearns through her and was given the wrong impression, being that Smearns made her to believe, you know, he wanted her while being in a relationship with Marinucci at the same time. You know, it's a bunch of Jerry Springer drama that unfortunately involves Jennifer, who is, again, impressionable and super trusting. 
Okay, so Jennifer befriended Peggy, who somehow knew everyone else. Yeah, and it's probably, like, one of those, like, small world type of situations. You know, it's like, oh, hey, you know so-and-so, yeah, and you know so-and-so, yeah, small world, oh my gosh, yeah. I think that's what happened. Not a lot's known, you know, about how they all knew each other, but we'll just go with that. So anyway, Jennifer's under the impression that she and Schmerns are going to get married, and she tells Medinger this. Marinucci overhears this and becomes angry, you know, because that's her, yeah. that's her man, right? Mm-hmm. So Jennifer leaves at some point and Marinucci and Schmerz are seen holding hands. Like, this is just some kind of twisted, fucked up drama. Yeah. So according to Emma Kenny, who is, by the way, she is a true crime YouTuber and psychologist out of the UK, and I just discovered her, and she's fucking fantastic. So if y'all have not heard of Emma Kenny, like, go look for her on YouTube. She's fan-fucking-tastic. But according to her, Smurns is basically playing these two women and really just confusing the fuck out of them. So this is what is reported after the fact. Um, it all seemed to have gone down when it was believed that Jennifer tried to seduce Smurns. What's probably more likely, given how Jennifer really was, was that she was just trying to, like, snuggle him or give him a little hug or something like that. Or that she was given the wrong impression and nobody bothered to correct that for her. Nobody bothered to correct that for her, but it was perceived differently because, you know, Smyrn's other girlfriend was jealous, you know, remember Marinucci? Marinucci? Just no. Yeah, just Marino, okay? But (laughs) Marinucci. (laughs) <laughs> but Smurn's story is that Jennifer came on to him. Of course. And he rejected her because he wasn't interested, despite the fact that he was telling her he wanted to marry her. Yeah, I mean, what kind of self-respecting man would be honest in the first place? Right? Ugh. Mm. Anyway, the next thing that happened is he rejected her advances defensively. So my thought on that one is if you're defensive when someone like accuses you of lying, for example, that means you're lying. <laughs> like you're if you're defensive, you're lying. So <laughs> Yeah. So basically he was defensive when he rejected her advances because he had been caught doing something. Exactly. So the next morning, like every morning, she's supposed to go to the doctor to, I guess, like get her medication for or for an appointment of some kind. Um, it's not clear. So for whatever reason she decides not to go. The fact that she did not leave really angers both Smurns and Knight. This really pissed them both off and they get into an argument with her. So it's almost as if she was set up to fail because they knew she had a handicap working against her. And then their mind kind of goes to the place where this is all her fault, even though it's clearly not. Yeah, exactly. So Jennifer later goes to take a shower. And while she's in the shower, Smyrns calls Marinucci and basically throws Jennifer under the bus, telling Marinucci that Jennifer is coming on to him and making Jennifer out to be this homewrecker. You know, he's perpetuating full-on gossip and rumors to someone who's already not liking Jennifer. Yeah, someone who's already jealous of Jennifer and feels threatened by her. You know, Jennifer probably at this point joined the Pussycat Dolls. You remember that band? Um, and she probably wrote that song, you know, Don't You Wish Your Girlfriend Was Hot Like Me. And by the way, uh, when I was in my early 20s, that song really pissed me off because the message it sent to me was, I can and will steal your man. So, you know, I'm hoping y'all are picking up what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I gotcha. Jennifer was not trying to steal anyone's man. She was literally a victim of a two-timing crap bag and super confused. 
she did nothing wrong. Oh, yep. Anywho, I digress, but Smurns is telling Marinucci all this bullshit like, <clears throat> bro, Jennifer, like, you know, she came on to me. God, it's like so annoying. Like, I love you in Junk Bay, but you're like so litty. Like, you're so lit. Like, you're like my one and only in some such bay. Like, I'm ready to keep this girl out of here, bay. Like, she, she like keeps holding my hand, bay, and like, I, I hold it back, you know? And like, if she like kissed me or some such, I'd be forced to like, you know, kiss her back because it's so lit. I mean, because like, she has this like mind control shit going on, bay. And like, I'm the victim here. Like, like, what do you expect me to do, bay? Like, I can't like yeet her out the window. That's exactly how that conversation went down, too. You know it, and I know it. So, listen to listening to Emma Kenny talk about this, like, I've gleaned one thing, um, you know, because she's telling it from a psychological standpoint. If it were true that he truly was the victim and that he had warded off her advances, then Marinucci probably wouldn't have been near as furious or felt near as threatened as she, you know, was, you know, when they talked, because he had notably done shit like this before. You know, don't forget that he's a cheating and two-timing prick. And, you know, Marinucci knows this and she still chose to stick around. You know, instead of being at ease that, you know, he was quote unquote honest with her because, you know, he wasn't. You know, she turned from a little troll-like figure, you know, those cute little trolls, to like what I, I find like this, like it's a potato with giant green-eyed, you know, she's like a giant green-eyed furious potato monster. So like rage filled and all ain't no bitch gonna take my man like you know imagine jerry springer <laughs> this is a literal jerry springer episode yeah it is yeah i mean absolutely no disrespect to jennifer or her family because this is not about her that i'm saying that full offense the greensburg six are all the equivalent to anybody that shows up on jerry springer they start to bully her you know they start light you know because obviously you have to ease your victim in so you know, they start by taking her handbag, stealing her money, her gift cards, clothing items, and they then they douse her items in mouthwash. And you know, he, she's just sitting there scared and vulnerable. Yeah, and she probably feels super powerless and afraid to defend herself. And, and she is at first, okay? So they then start hitting her, like they're hitting her in the head with full Coke bottles, right? And I think that it was just regular plastic full Coke bottles. At this point, it's unclear. Either way, still horrific, you know? But then, and then they're, then she's getting even more scared. So fly, fight or flight does kick in and she does start defending herself. But it's kind of a lose-lose battle for her because Knight doesn't like this because how dare you fuck up the fun they're having with you, you know? So Knight ups the ante and basically grabs her, throws her up against a wall and chokes her. Just... All of this is just, ugh. How incredibly cruel. But just wait. So, uh, he finally releases her. She drops to the floor crying hysterically. And here is where I want to again remind everyone before I continue. Okay? Jennifer is a trusting, loving, vulnerable 30-year-old woman with a mental disability that would make her mental and maturity level that of a 12 to 14-year-old. So imagine a 12 to 14-year-old in this situation. Imagine being threatened yourself by a 12 to a 14-year-old in such a way that you feel like you have to take to violent acts just to get your point across. You, you can't imagine it, can you? No. And 12 to 14-year-olds, let's not deny it. 
They can be assholes. Right. But Jennifer was not. No. She was sweet and loving, deeply cared about people, naive and innocent. She was trusting and she was vulnerable. She had zero issue with anyone there and doesn't understand why any of this is happening and is likely just very terrified. So from here, it escalates again. Marinucci, she arrives at this apartment like the big old troll potato badass she thinks she is. And like when I say troll, like this chick, she looks like a fucking troll. Okay, let's be real. I don't, I don't care. <laughs> she looks like a potato with glasses. Okay. Yeah. She's pissed and she just wants to come get her bae. And she also oh. wants revenge. She's all confrontational with Jennifer. Jennifer's all, I don't know what you're talking about. Marinucci doesn't like this answer. Uh, Marinucci then looks to Knight and Smurns, I guess for like you know, a, a silent validation or permission. You know, it's the wolf pack type of mentality or behavior. Um, and then Amber Menninger then joins Marinucci and they both they both drag Jennifer to the bathroom to continue the assault. These people are some awesome friends. Five stars, th two thumbs up. Bravo. So <laughs> obviously, mm. obviously we're being hella snarky, by the way. So Marinucci pushes Jennifer into a metal shower rod. You know, those things that like, they're, they're that would inflict some in injury. Okay, let's, let's be no. real. <laughs> so they push her into a metal shower rod. They push her into the walls. They push her into the tiles of the bathroom and it causes injury to her head and to her chest. Jennifer is just like continually stating her innocence the entire time, but it just goes ignored. Do you remember in the Justin Barnard case where they're putting cigarettes and shit out on him and carrying out this torture and Justin is all, what is even going on here? Why are you doing this? This is Jennifer at this point. I'm telling you. Uh, she even keeps stating that she has zero interest in Smyrna. So she's like, basically, they're like, dude, why are you, why are you doing this to me? I don't want him. Like, I promise, just leave me alone. Let me go home. You know, that's all she wants, you know? But, you know, Marinucci is a fucking potato bitch ass and she ain't having it because up to this point, she's been festering into this little fantasy world of coming in like a Viking or some shit, avenging her man. You know, mm -hmm. she doesn't care at this point what's true or what's not, because in her mind, she's already accepted the belief that people are out to steal her man and that people should never accept otherwise. I understand how that can be confusing. Okay. So imagine for a minute, like having a gut feeling. Okay. You're dead set on believing that this gut feeling would be true and you will stop at nothing to prove your gut is right. Even when scientific evidence points out that it's wrong. Like you've seen those memes where it'll be like, uh, the sky is blue, fight me. Or I think that's how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess you're saying they're going to fight you on anything. <laughs> yeah. No matter, no matter what's right or wrong, you know, um, it's my child. Yeah, basically, they, that's their hill and they will stand on it. Oh, I see what you're saying, yeah. But yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's their hill and they're going to die there, you know. Aww. But even if it's clearly been, you know, produced that the facts do not align with what your gut is telling you, you're still steadfast in what your gut says. That's exactly what's going on here, except more violence. So they are stubborn in their conviction that Jennifer is this monster who is lying, even though it's clearly them. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh, Marinucci had already made up her mind what she was going to do to Jennifer. So, you know, how dare Je Jennifer challenge that? And plus, like, how could anyone not want Smurns? Like, he's such a hunk. No, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah. He's an old shit 
funky ass. <laughs> like, that's a catch right there. Yeah, that's a catch, all right. A full-on venereal catch. Uh, yep. I should... <laughs> I, sh <laughs> I see it now that you said it. <laughs> I should rename Smurns and Marinucci. Thing one and thing two, maybe? Yeah, except there's Herpes Simplex 1 and Herpes Simplex 2. Who would be which one? Okay, well, type 1 commonly affects the mouth more so than the genital area. So, like, you know, think cold sores, but on crack. So I think that Marinucci being the whole mouth of this operation would be type 1. And Smurns, you know, being the big questionable dick. Type 2, got it. Yeah. It's fun to call these pieces of shit venereal pieces of shit. Yeah. Why? Because... A disease when you can actually be the disease. Right? That's pure dedication right there. They're obviously very industrious and well-grounded individuals. You know, they're very dedicated to the cause. <laughs> yeah. Very proud of their endeavors, for sure. For sure. I honestly don't know which is worse, though. Breeding the disease or being the disease. But, you know, I, dig I, dig I digress. It's about the same, because either way, you are a cesspool of disease. A straight-up, herpes-infested breeding ground. Well, you know, you also, you know, let's be fair here. You also have syphilis. You don't, but I'm just saying in general. But there's also... I was about to say, uh, excuse me. There's also syphilis, gonorrhea, you know, trick, hepatitis maybe, chlamydia, you know. These people are COVID, okay? Let's stick to COVID. That seems just very relevant right now, right? Staphylococcus. Okay, that fucking works. So this paracoccus, like I'm, I'm imagining a boil being busted with a hot needle. Courtney, <laughs> gross. <laughs> let's move on with the case. Yeah. Actually, let's take a break because I'm not sure I can handle it anymore right now at this moment. All right, we're taking a break. Hello, and welcome to the jury room. I'm your host, Kevin, and I will be covering anything true crime, from serial killers to cold cases and everything in between. The jury room podcast is available on most major podcasting platforms. Don't forget to like, subscribe, follow anywhere you can. Stay safe. And thanks for listening. Well, hello, I'm Dom, and I'm the host of Horror House, True Crime and the Macabre. Horror House, True Crime and the Macabre is a delectable delight of true crime and the macabre, sprinkled with just the right amount of that dry British humour. Horror House can be found anywhere that you listen to podcasts and is on Instagram at Twitter at horrorhouse underscore pod and on Facebook at horrorhousepod. Episodes are released weekly on a Friday or as weekly as studying full-time and working part-time allows. So why don't you make a brew and come join me as I weave tales of horror and discomfort. Until next time, stay spooky. Okay, welcome back, everyone. So, these pus pockets are, like, scheming because Jennifer is holding hard and fast 
to the absolute fact that she is not interested in Smyrna's Simplex 2. Smyrna's Simplex 2? Really, Courtney? I mean, we were talking about STDs earlier. So Marinucci <laughs> just... <laughs> Marinucci does the whole OMG girl. You know, she's talking to a manager who's dating Knight and also pregnant with his child. So she's all OMG girl. Check it out. So like Jennifer also wants your man. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's not just me. She's after everyone's man. Oh my God. Broken telephone. Yeah. So Basically, now Menninger and Marinucci are now allies in this fight against Jennifer the Manstealer, you know? Like, they straight up have this bond and sisterhood now, you know, in the fight against innocent Jennifer. Trust me, Jennifer does not want your man. Nobody but you wants that, boo. Menninger is now pissed, understandably, because, you know, she believes everything that comes out of Marinucci's mouth. But she's pissed and she's threatened because she believes everything. Um, all the manipulation and all the lies. Jennifer continues to protest and state her innocence, and she is repaid in violence each time. She's continuously pushed into the metal towel rack, and her head is injured. So Knight then comes back in and drags Jennifer into the living room. Didn't they all grab oatmeal and spices and shit from the spice rack and start pouring it all over her head? Yeah. Uh, can you believe that? No. Jennifer's saying that her eyes are burning at this point, and they tell her that she stinks, and they then force her to take a shower. They're making her into their puppet. Yeah, so some time goes by, and Robert Cathcart, you know, he's a former tenant of the apartment that Smyrns was living in. Um, he had let Smyrns and the others live there as long as they did some work around the house, and they didn't have to pay rent as long as they just did chores and work around the house. You know, so he had made a phone call to Smyrn saying that he was coming to grab some items that he had left. She could have been freed from this? Yeah. So at this point, Jennifer, you know, she could have been freed, but instead they shoved Jennifer down into the basement. So Cathcart then shows up and an altercation breaks out between him, Knight, and Smyrns. So the police then get called. They show up. There was unfortunately no cause for the police to enter and search the apartment. So they basically came by and said, you know... Y'all shut the fuck up. Quit disturbing the peace. You know, people around here trying to sleep. Gonna beat each other up. Do it more quietly. I mean, the police didn't actually say that. I'm just, like, I'm at this point where I'm just really fucking frustrated. I also doubt that they had that accent because they're from Pennsylvania. So. Wrong part of the country. Yeah. Yeah, because this was Jennifer's chance to get saved as she had already been brutally assaulted by these people. Yeah. But instead, they were unfortunately clever enough to hide her and also incredibly lucky yeah. at this point that the police didn't come in and look around. So infuriating. So fucking infuriating. So once the police and Cathcart left, things started to calm down. Knight and Smurns then get bored and decided that they weren't, they weren't done with Jennifer, you know? So they drug her out of the basement. They force her to take her pajamas off. Didn't they throw her pajamas out on top of the roof and then grab a pair of scissors and cut her hair right down to the scalp in some parts? Yep. It's absolutely horrific. They had taken her integrity. They had taken her personal identity. Like, you know, her hair. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, they were saying they were saying they were in complete control. They were the puppeteers and she was the puppet. And they also make her clean up the mess. This entire time, she's just asking... Why are you doing this to me? Does it sound familiar? 
Justin Barnard. Yep. They responded with, quote, because you're ugly and nobody is ever going to want you. Oh, my heart. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So, after that, Knight then drags Jennifer down into the living room. He stuffs a sock into her mouth and he brutally rapes her. So, yeah. His pregnant girlfriend, Medinger, you know, who evidently, you know, has a problem with Jennifer now. Because of what Marinucci said to her earlier. So she comes down and she sees this happening. She doesn't do shit. She doesn't care. Sick, sick people. No, yeah, she doesn't. She does not give a single solitary fuck. So, I mean, you know, you would think you'd feel threatened by somebody that supposedly wants your your man. But then you walk in on your man raping somebody and you don't care. Like, what's what is that? So sickening. So at one point, Smyrns and Knight leave because Marinucci needs her medicine from her parents' house. So they employ Miller and Masters to keep an eye on Jennifer while they're gone and make sure that she doesn't leave. Is this where I'm going to be even more livid? Because given the outcome? Yes. (laughs) I'm just going to tell you right now. Yes. So Yeah. So while they're gone, you know, it's been said that Robert Masters did go and get clothes for Jennifer at one point that he did show as much compassion as he was allowed to show. Because everyone is being influenced by, like, under the pack mentality and manipulation? Yes. So, you know, Peggy Miller. Remember Peg? You know, she Mm -hmm. then, she she sees this kind of shit and she contacts the other four as they leave Minucci's house and basically snitches Jennifer out, you know, saying that she's trying to leave. It's unclear as to whether she was really trying to leave or not. But what a fucking twat, you know? Egg on her face. Egg on her face. Um, I actually want to push an egg through her face with my fist, but I digress. So Smyrns and Knight run back into the apartment. Now that they have this warning and confront Jennifer and then they beat her up again. Then they force her to take some of Marinucci's medication. They tell her it's headache medication. It's actually Seroquel, which is an antipsychotic used to treat bipolar disorder or schizophrenia. And also Zoloft, also known as Sertraline, which, you know, is an antidepressant. They then left Jennifer alone in a room and then they all went to to bed because what a hard and heavy day for six quote unquote victims, right? You have to be a special kind of fucked up to feel like these people are victims absolutely so marinucci smurns and knight after a long evening of beauty rest and relaxation after a hard day of hard work they leave to go cash check this time they employ medinger masters and miller the three of them instead of the two because you know masters and miller clearly couldn't be trusted to watch jennifer without medinger you know because yeah she was trying to escape after all you know hmm um, they, they are employed to like watchdog Jennifer and they tell them that if they let her leave, that bad things will happen to them. As soon as they left? Yeah. They let her go, right? Of course not. <laughs> so, you know, I mentioned Emma, yeah, I mentioned Emma Kenny earlier and, you know, she did a great job on this case. She did a fantastic job at trying to simmer some humanity and, you know, even the cowards. But the one thing I want to state here. I don't give a fat fuck if these people were scared of Knight, Marinucci, and Smurds. The three of them were grown and they had minds of their own. Maybe they witnessed what had happened to Jennifer, but they had more than enough leeway to get her out of there and get her help and still be safe. 
These three, in my opinion, are just as bad as the onlookers who, instead of reaching out to help a victim, take video on their phone for TikTok. Had it been me, as soon as they left, I would have found a phone, called the fucking police, or have even gotten her the fuck out of there and taken her to, like, a hospital or something. But what if the other two didn't want to help you? Yeah. What if they had turned on you out of fear? Well, if it was clear they didn't want to help, I would have still found a phone and at least tried to get her out of there. Or I would have stood against them alongside Jennifer because at that point I would rather die feeling like I did the right thing than live the rest of my life in prison knowing I did the wrong thing. But, you know, fuck a bunch of wolf pack ass motherfuckers. So, <sighs> okay. Man. So they return and the first thing Marinucci does is accuse Jennifer of drinking soda from the fridge. <laughs> Jennifer denies this. Yeah, she's just spent an entire 24 hours being made to drink random things she didn't want to drink. Oh man. So wait till you find out what that is. One of the things is fucking cooking oil. Like oh. canola. Okay. Oh. Actually, I think it was Crisco cooking oil, but it doesn't matter the brand. It was cooking oil. Yeah. Uh, any of them is not okay. Yeah. I drink our, back when I was doing music, I drank catfuls here and there of like olive oil because it does, yeah, it helps lubricate, you know, your vocal cords. Yeah. The, I'm talking, though, like, bottles of vegetable oil. They made her drink this shit. Okay? Wow. They don't care. They'd already decided mm. that Jennifer drank this non-existent soda. They push her to the floor. <sighs> they climb onto her. They begin to punch her in the face. The ones that didn't participate in the beating did say that Jennifer did try to defend herself. And managed, you know, to knee Marinucci in the stomach, to which Marinucci gets up, runs to Smyrns, and suddenly decided to say, Hey, bae, I'm pregnant, but get this, boo, Jennifer killed our baby. So, like... <laughs> I don't think Marinucci was actually pregnant, but alrighty. So, that's actually confirmed she was not pregnant. <laughs> bitch. Yeah, she was using this as an emotion play. So she can get the pack to do what she wanted. Wow. And Smyrns is now pissed. Okay. Quote, why should you be allowed to live? He said to Jennifer. I know you killed my child. He had said. So Smyrns begins to hold what he calls these family meetings. Wait, 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 wait. Family meetings? Yep, exactly. Because this is definitely a communal type of situation. So like a cult? Bingo. Well, you know, uh, a pseudocult, really. I mean, I'll explain pseudocults one day. I was actually in one, but that's neither here nor there. Are MLMs pseudocults? You know, I hardly think that the people in this case would be aggressive over a pair of Lululemon leggings or, you know, It Works patches or <laughs> Plexus drinks or whatever they do these days, you know, snake oils, whatever. Are you sure they wouldn't be aggressive over Lululemon leggings? Yeah. Actually, come to think of it, yes. <laughs> they would get aggressive if a butterfly farted in Japan on a summer day. So, yes, MLMs are, are pseudo-cults. Gotcha. So, during these pseudo-cult meetings, they're trying to figure out what to do with Jennifer, right? Yeah, and at this point, Jennifer is, like, barely hanging on by a thread, okay? She's been raped, beaten, drugged, and also forced to drink these really disgusting elixirs that I'm about to bring up. So they decide during this meeting that they take a 
Barely conscious, conscious Jennifer to the bathroom. Knight and Medinger are the ones that take her there, and Knight beats Jennifer over the head with a metal towel rack. Then they all decide that she needs to drink pregnant pee because, quote-unquote, it's stronger. So Marinucci... Who is not pregnant, by the way. Pisses into a cup, and they force-fed Jennifer the piss. Then, because that was just not enough, right? They decide to make an elixir, which included more pee, Medinger's shit, and spices. So they basically made her a bodily waste cake. That's fucking gross and horrific. Yeah, and she does try to refuse it. So they beat her and assault her until she finally gives in and ingests this bodily waste pie. They then decide to make her a drink to wash it down and it's made of water, bleach, cigarette butts, and more prescription meds from Medinger. The elixir you're talking about. Yes. So Medinger then beats Jennifer until she drinks every single bit of it. Smurns and Knight then drag her back into the living room and decide to grab Christmas lights and they tied her feet together with that. No. Marinucci plugs them in and says she wants to make her a Christmas tree. Wait, what? Yeah. How awful was that? Uh, yeah, right? Uh, the, oh. the lights don't work, and Marinucci is in a rage. They remove the bulbs from the wire so that they can feasibly tie her legs together, and then they take a garland and tie that around her feet, and then they paint her face up with nail polish that Miller owns. They have basically dehumanized her at this point. Yep. They then take turns kicking her in the stomach because they all believe that it's possible that she's pregnant with Smyrn's baby. Uh, no. And then they beat her with anything they could find, like a vacuum cleaner, a crutch that- a crutch was mentioned, right? All Jennifer is wanting at this point is to the, just go home. That's all she wants. And so at this point, Jennifer's like begging and pleading to be let go. So she just wants to be with her family. And you, you remember how close she is with her family. Yeah. I'm fucking, I'm heartbroken, you know, because all I'm. This is awful. Yeah. All I'm thinking about is like, and I hate to, to do this every time, but all I'm thinking about is my daughter, for example, being you know, in this situation and just crying for, for her mommy. It just, it's hard. Okay. But I don't want to think about it. It's, it's hard to think about and it's hard not to think about it. But yeah, the important thing is the reason why I'm comparing her to like my daughter is because again, as I've mentioned like 15 times already, Jennifer's 30 years old with the mentality of a 12 to a 14 year old. So she's a child yeah. basically. So she's begging and pleading to be let go because she, all she wants is to just be with her family. Um, so Smyrns decides to hold another family meeting where they have to make a decision as to whether she should live or die. You're kidding me, right? So every member of this wolf, wolf pack, they vote death. They thought, this is where it gets crazy. They, I mean, it's all crazy, but this is just fucking, I mean, oh my God. They thought murder would incur less of a punishment than assault. Oh, Jesus. So, I'm laughing, not because it's funny, but because I'm just like, wow, holy fucking shit. That's just ridiculous of a way of thinking. Yeah, that kind of just shows you how bright they are. So, Smyrns then goes and asks Jennifer if she wants to live or die. Can you even imagine going through all that, potentially overhearing these people unanimously vote in favor of your death and then being asked that? That's absolutely terrifying. Yeah, it is. 
But she pleads to be let live, and she maintains her innocence, saying she did nothing wrong. Like, imagine, I am not doing anything wrong. Please just let me live, you know? So Smyrns then said, except you did. You attempted to kill my child. Who, by the way, again, there was no baby. There was no baby. Smyrns then made Jennifer write a suicide note and also said to her, quote, we are going to kill you, and we're going to make it look like a suicide, so we aren't held accountable. The intent was to put the note in her pocket so that if she were found, it would be deemed a suicide instead of a homicide. These people are super bright. Fucking, they are bright. They are as bright as dirt. So mm. they, the note they forced her to write said, quote, I, oh, this is so fucking infuriating. I'm sorry. Going off the script for just a minute, but fucking shit. So, the note that they forced her to write said, and I quote, I haven't been very happy for a while. I also feel like that everybody will be better without me on earth. I will always love my mom, stepdad, no matter what, and I will always love the rest of my family also. My nieces and nephew would be lucky to have a better aunt than me. I am done with life. Goodbye, Jennifer. This is incredibly fucked up. Yeah. So then Marinucci just says, quote, just kill that bitch. They take her to the bathroom. They turn the light off. They make her kneel down. Smyrns hands Knight an eight inch knife from the kitchen. And he says, you know what to do. Knight then says, I can't. Smyrns says, me neither, man. So they all change their minds, let her escape, and everyone lives happily ever after? No, not at all. Knight then goes into the bathroom, stuffs something in Jennifer's mouth to keep her quiet, asks her if she's ready to die. And remember, he couldn't do this, right? But then it's kind of like, man, I can't. Okay, I'm going to do this, you know? And then repeatedly stabs her in the chest, in the side of her body, in her neck, and then slices her throat. Knight then leaves the bathroom and said, dang, this bitch ain't dead. Marinucci then reinforces her, you know, queen bee potato troll stance and says... Quote, you have to kill her. Just do it. I want her out. Marinucci is... I mean, she's something. She's a fucking potato, and I'll tell you what. If I ever fucking ran across her, she would be mashed fucking potatoes. So, Knight passes the knife to Medinger, who passes it to Smyrns. So, basically, they're playing hot potato with this fucking knife. Mm-hmm. Who goes to the bathroom? Zero fucking empathy. And just slit her wrists. Uh, Marinucci is continuously all, just kill that bitch, I can't believe she isn't dead. It's like a chant. It's like a, like, shh. Ugh. Okay. Um, also, she keeps saying, I don't know what he saw in her. And proceeded to call her the hard R word while Jennifer is in there dying. Despite all this, Jennifer still hasn't died? No. So, Smyrns and Knight decide that they have a plan as to how they will finish her off. Um, they grab the Christmas lights and use these lights to strangle her. At this point, 30-year-old Jennifer Doherty passes, and up until now, had been tortured for three fucking days. So you mean to tell me that she is tortured for three days, forced to write her own suicide note, and then these people murdered her? So can you imagine what she must have been thinking in those last moments? This is a woman who is incredibly close. She's just incredibly close to their family, but this is the last they hear or see of her. So sad. So guess what? There's a new family meeting at this point. You've got to be kidding me. Another family meeting? I feel like I'm 
stuck in a Charles Manson song on repeat. You're not wrong. <laughs> this. Mm, God. Okay. Sabrina, if you are listening, you're right. I'm fucking livid. So, this family meeting is to discuss what to do with the body. Master suggests putting her body on the train tracks. Marinucci then suggests burning her body in front of a church. Because, you know, drama. Uh, Medinger suggests putting her in the trunk of a car. Because, you know, drama. Smyrn suggests putting her in a trash can and moving it somewhere remote so that they wouldn't be caught. These people are fucking idiots. Yes. Yeah. Do they think they're going to be caught? Or they think, do they think they aren't going to be caught? Well, seriously. <laughs> so, spoiler alert, you know, they get caught. They do. They get caught. That's good. Um, but guess what they do? They go to a neighbor's house. They steal their trash can. They then put Jennifer's body in a plastic bag, shove her headfirst into the trash can, and then Smyrns and Knight grab a bunch of towels and bleach. They clean up the blood... At one point, Marinucci comes up with this realization that Smyrns loves her more because he killed Jennifer. I mean, flowers, candy, mm. expressing your undying love. Yeah. Not two-timing. Maybe not murder, but you know. <laughs> Evidently, it's just easier to stick your penis in anything and walk, you know, that walked and then, you know, kill people, you know, so that you don't have to deal with the repercussions of your actions, you know? So, you know, he avenged you know, the wrong he committed towards both Jennifer and Marinucci. Yeah, you heard that right. He avenged himself, okay? <laughs> uh, he made Jennifer pay for what he had essentially done. I mean, that that just takes sacrifice. You know, love is, is sacrifice. Yeah, I feel like I'm in the middle of a romance novel. Written by Jerry Springer. Yes. Yeah, so... <laughs> so Marinucci then decides that she's out of Smart's League, right? She now decides that she's better than him because Smyrns has this one teeny tiny flaw. Yeah, he's a murderer. Yeah, and I mean, all of them are, but you know, you have to have standards and expectations. So, Smyrns and Knight leave early, early, early the next day, right? With the trash can containing Jennifer's body and they arrive at Greensburg Salem Middle School. The parking lot is covered in snow because remember this is like February. they shove part of the trash can underneath the truck, and then they continue about their way. These people are clearly intelligent murderous masterminds. Nobody's ever going to suspect. Nobody will ever know. <laughs> like, genius, right? Bet their IQ is super high. It's in the high tens for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, we have to laugh. It's in the high tens, so it's like ten. So now that their problem is out of the way, they head back to the apartment and it's time for them to go to sleep. Man, hard work and perseverance will wear you the fuck out, right? So you sleep after that. I know, I know. How the fuck can you sleep after that? They they were just they were working hard. Okay, they were working hard. Like if I forget to like do something, like if I forget to write something down, I can't sleep right. I know, right? There's been times where like I'll take maybe 15 melatonin and I still can't sleep because I'm like, what the fuck did I forget to do? Right? Yeah. But yeah, these people are like, oh, I mean, I'm just gonna do all of this shit and then just go to bed because they were working hard. So a few hours later, like so they basically done all of this like they had put jennifer's body underneath the truck around i want to say like two or three in the morning right a couple hours later it's about six or seven in the morning 
Uh, the driver of the truck immediately finds the trash can shoved under his truck. So he pulls the trash can out. The lid pops open. So he smells the smell of decomp and all the other shit that they had thrown on her in the days previous. You know, like the bleach, the mouthwash, all of that, right? And then he discovers Jennifer's body inside. Oh, man, that had to be rough for that truck driver. That's that's just some fucking PTSD waiting to happen. Um, yeah. Police arrive pretty immediately on the scene. They take her body for to a forensic pathologist. They notice all of these odd things, like Christmas lights on her neck and her wrists, the garland around her feet, the weird smells like spices and bleach, and, and just things that aren't typically consistent with decomp. Police figure out pretty quick that this is Jennifer Doherty. So during her autopsy, they discovered numerous stab wounds, several medications in her system, like the Zoloft and the antipsychotic I mentioned earlier, and they found that the levels of these drugs were higher than what would have been needed to cause an overdose and death. The wound that was the most severe was the one that was on the left side of her chest. It had pierced her lung and her heart. All of the things that happened to her contributed to her death, but that one was the ultimate that killed her. Wow. So police then get reports of a disturbance at, um, what's his face's, Smyrn's apartment around the time consistent with what had happened? Yeah, and, you know, thank you for bringing that up. This is infuriating, okay? (sighs) Okay, so a neighbor said that over the past few days, he had heard some noises coming from that apartment that he thought were highly unusual, okay? So he's a fucking onlooker, okay? Yeah. Uh, He noted that one sounded like a body being slammed, and he also had heard screaming. Why weren't the police called in this moment? I have a very hard time understanding that, too. But, you know, I mean, we do have to unfortunately remember while I fully stand by see something, say something, or even hear something, say something, uh, he very likely didn't want to jump jump the gun and get too involved just in case it was nothing. You know, but I get it. It's better to report something and it be nothing than to not report something and it be Jennifer Doherty found in a trash can stuffed underneath a truck. We have a duty Mm -hmm. as humans to do something. Right. None of us should be rubbernecking in a situation that could potentially be bad. Mm-hmm. And some people will say, don't be a hero. In a situation where you can likely be killed, yeah, don't be a hero. But if you have a feeling that something sinister is happening next door, I can call the police. Yeah, I'm with you. She potentially could have been saved. She potentially, yeah, I mean, she could be alive today. My neighbors call the police if a firework goes off. Yeah. His I mean, neighbor doesn't call because of this? Like, woo! Yeah, it's annoying to, like, be that neighbor to call over every little thing, but it's better safe than sorry, you know? Yeah. I mean, she potentially could have been alive today, but instead this was allowed to continue due to the sheer nature of ignoring what was happening. I mean, I'm sorry, but that neighbor was fucking ignorant. And we're not saying that the neighbor is completely to blame. No, he's not completely to blame. I'm not saying that he's a murderer, but he still should have called the police. Well, there is a very important factor to this entire case just surrounding that. So I I invite everybody to remember just that very thing for just a minute. We'll get to it. So they start receiving some reports and calls and then police go around knocking on some doors to maybe see if there are any witnesses or even people have heard some things or, you know, know some things. Marinucci gets a text informing her that a body was found at the middle school. It's unclear who sent this text, but 
My thinking is that it was an anonymous text from someone that knew about the beef Marinucci had with Jennifer. Yeah. This entire time, Jennifer's family have zero clue about any of this. They're just wondering where Jennifer is. That's all. They're wondering, where is she? How sad. Yeah, so everybody knows at this point, except for Jennifer's family. Um, so Jennifer's sister calls Smyrn's apartment. Peggy Miller, old Peggy, you know, her best friend. She answers the phone because at this point, Smyrn's is out with his caseworker. Yeah, his caseworker. So. Oh, okay. So she asks Peggy if, you know, she knows where Jennifer is. And Peggy's like, no, I have no idea. Okay. But then Smyrn's calls and Smyrn's calls and tells Peggy to leave the apartment immediately. Because basically, in so many words, the cops are hot on this and that he and Marinucci were taken in for questioning by the police. They then eventually grab Knight masters old peggy miller and medinger because there's obviously more questions the police are obviously on to all of them at this point good yeah so uh, during questioning they all pointed their finger at each other with blame i mean you know so so there's six of us right okay this is gonna be fun okay so let's say that you put seven pizza rolls in a microwave those seven pizza rolls are meant to be for say judy Right? Because she's supposed to eat 10. Okay, I don't understand why this math is relevant, but okay. Okay, so Judy noticed three pizza rolls were left. She goes to me and asks me if I ate them. I'd be like, of course not. It was Amanda who ate them. But it was actually Ben who ate them because I was making them for Ben. Right, so then they ask Ben, hey, what happened to all of those pizza rolls? And he blames Emmett, and then Emmett says that Anna ate them, but then Anna, you ate them. Yeah. But who actually ate them? Well, I saw Nate eating a pizza roll earlier, so it had to have been him. But then Nate said that I was the one who had eaten all the pizza rolls. But it turns out we all ate the pizza rolls and left one for Judy. But none of us want to admit that because we were all guilty. Yeah. Okay, I see what's happening here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I got it. And Nate had actually helped by purchasing these pizza rolls. You know? I I had actually... Nate under the bus, man. Well, yeah, but he purchased them, but I put the Louisiana hot sauce on them, you know? Um, and he said that he saw no reason why we shouldn't all share them. So even though he's not the the ringleader of this operation, he's still, he's still just as complicit as everybody else because we all ate the pizza rolls. Poor Jacob, though. He didn't get a pizza roll. See, the theory... <laughs> the theory is that he was saving it for Judy. But what really may have happened is that he was the anonymous texter who said... Hey, they found a body at the middle school. So, you know, he may have known about it, but didn't want to be involved. Please tell me we didn't just compare a body to a pizza roll. So, okay, we kind of did. <laughs> but to be honest, this is one of the better ways I can explain how all of this went down. Like, I have, a, so basic- I have ADD, and that's just how my mind works. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, basically, the Greenberg Six, as they would come to be known, all point fingers at each other. Yeah, and Marinucci wasn't even considered a suspect at this point, though. They, of course, had their suspicions, but they actually thought she was just someone who might have had some information, but wasn't actually involved. <laughs> little to their... Little, that they... little do they know. So, <laughs> the police search the apartment and find some very, uh, obviously incriminating evidence, like, you know, an 8-inch knife, an area with some Christmas lights, like, strewn about, a metal pole with blood on it, the crutch I mentioned earlier, among other things. 
So it's here that Marinucci admits that there's beef between her and Jennifer, which the police find very interesting. She basically said that they were fighting over Smyrns. She then said that at the bus station, they mended their friendship and that there was no problem, which obviously is a bunch of bullshit, but, you know, the police don't know this just yet. She then continues by saying that the other five were still pissed at Jennifer because she was acting like a homewrecker. So Marinucci fabricates the story of a trust bond between her and the other five as though they'd really care if Jennifer really wanted to involve herself in this affair or not. Despite the squashed beef, the story is just fishy. Yeah, why would you mend ways with someone and call a truce and then other people still want to beat you up? That's not normal behavior. Yeah, it's obvious to police that she's lying because that story just makes zero sense. Okay, you don't just say, hey, so she was trying to fuck my man, but, you know, we met at the bus station, hugged it out. People still felt betrayed on my behalf, so they killed her. doesn't work like that. No. And the police aren't going to be all... All right, well, it's obvious you did nothing wrong, so you're free to go. Yeah, I mean, at this point, she implicated herself. She totally did. Uh, She told the story, and it completely backfired. Uh, The police were like, you know, no dice. Because after this, she she further implicated herself by saying that the rest of the group did all of the things, including tying her up with the Christmas lights. And then, you know, after the fact they supposedly squashed their beef, you know, she admitted to, you know, punching Jennifer. Even though she squashed the beef with her, remember? Yeah. So they squashed their bullshit, but then she decided that Jennifer needed a good whooping? Yeah. Seems legit. It's an Oscar-worthy story, if I'm saying. They quickly find out that she is one of the main characters in this entire ordeal. Uh, she ignored, she organized this entire thing and that she is 110% guilty of all of it. So, trial? Yeah. So, after questioning... Marinucci faces charges of first and second degree murder, conspiracy to murder, and conspiracy to kidnapping, and kidnapping. She pleaded not guilty to all counts, so this goes to trial. <laughs> so, Medinger, Medinger, okay? Okay. She testified against Marinucci and everyone else and had pled guilty to murder pretty immediately, despite her attorney telling her otherwise, and also said, quote, I have evidence if you need it. So, Medinger was, you know, she does have a conscience. She's still a piece of shit, but somewhat of a conscience. There was no plea deal offered. She sincerely pled guilty because she actually felt guilty and knew she was guilty. So, on the rare occasion that I will give any respect to a murderer, good for you here, Medinger. You're still a fucking piece of shit, but good for you for having a conscience. Now, she did avoid the death penalty because of this, but Medinger didn't realize that would be the result. She did what she did because she truly felt it was the right thing to do. She had nothing to lose. It's noted that her testimony was every prosecutor's wet dream. She was given 40 to 80 years in prison, and it's unlikely she will ever step outside of free will. Uh, There was more evidence against Marinucci from an inmate overhearing Marinucci, Miller, and Medinger discussing what had happened. This inmate, along with others, would talk to Marinucci and... She straight up told them what what all she did to Jennifer. How dumb can someone be? Right? Rule number one. In jail, in prison, whatever. Not a single person there is your friend. And, you know, if someone thinks that information can get them something, they will sing like a fucking canary. And even if you do make friends as an inmate, imagine telling one person a secret in a small town. Five minutes later, everyone knows your secret. 
I've never been to jail, and even I know that. Snitches get stitches, but evidently they did not like Marinucci and maybe there are exceptions to that hard fast rule. They likely saw her as the equivalent of a child killer, which is definitely something that's not revered in prison by inmates by any means. So Marinucci was telling them all the details, including how she wanted Jennifer dead, and even praised Smurns on a job well done cleaning up the crime scene. Probably all, that's my man. <laughs> so, gross, gross. One thing is they were all eating the stew and commented on how the stew looked like dog shit, which it actually looked like vomit, but you know, from what I saw. And Marinucci had said, quote, that's okay. I feed feces too, and I'm not going to finish that, but she uses the hard R word. So there was another time where she goes, quote, does anyone need a drink? I'll give people bleach to drink. So she's bright. Oh she's fucking insanely smart. Fucking. <laughs> she's just, I just, mm, she could teach a class on being dumb. So she's fucking cold. Okay. I don't think she's even smart enough to teach a class to be, to be dumb. <laughs> She's a potato. So she's just cold. She has no fucking remorse, no guilt, gave zero fucks. She was very, actually very pleased with herself. Marinucci is found guilty in all counts. Before her sentencing, they looked at her background and found that Marinucci, shocker, had a middle class upbringing with a stable family. She said she was raped when she was 13, which we all can agree, you know, that's horrific. But it's also not believed to be true. Not to mention, what? yeah, not to mention that, you know, rape can be a trauma and there are trauma responses associated with rape. There are people that live today as wonderful human beings that would not murder a 30 year old with the mentality of a 12 to 14 year old because they got raped. She also says that Smurns raped her at the time of Jennifer's murder. I don't believe that one, but Smurns is definitely a piece of shit. But it looks like Marinucci is trying to deflect the atrocity of the crime she committed by making herself look like the victim. We're on the same page. Definitely. Also, she she mentions that the reason why she didn't bring it up until that point in time is because she was scared of losing the relationship she had with Smurfs. So I just want a big fat fucking whopper of bullshit here. Like, Smurfs raped her, but she didn't want to... (laughs) She didn't want to lose the relationship with Smurns. I mean, think about it. Uh. Uh, and Emma Kinney brings up that while you should obviously believe it when a victim says they've been raped, you should also remember that Marinucci said she was pregnant when she wasn't. Interesting, isn't it? Mm-hmm. She also lied to the police about the beef she and Jennifer supposedly squashed. Uh, Marinucci's mother claimed in court that one thing that changed her behavior is that when she was 15, she was hit with, by a truck and sustained injuries, including head trauma. Her family holds strong to believing that this is a factor that altered her behavior. And I mean, I understand that because there's a ton of serial killers, as I believe I've mentioned or will mention. I don't, I don't remember, but there's a ton of serial killers that suffered a head injury at a young age and turned out to be the way they are as a result. Something about the frontal lobe being damaged and a still developing brain It's important to note that the brain continues to develop until well into your 20s, which explains the massive differences in behavior from infancy to adolescence to adulthood. And they say that the development of the brain is crucial in the process in like development 
especially in adolescence, because that's where it majorly shifts. It could affect impulse control, for example, also have some long-term issues. A head injury that time can be detrimental to later behavior. Wow. I know we mentioned that we are just regular people, but that was way science-y. I mean, it's a fact, and I'm smart as fuck, but I'm kidding. <laughs> but it is a fact. I don't know the exact ages, but, you know, it's a fact. Like, if you look it up, you'll, yeah. you could read up on it. Yeah, I believe you. So they said that after, the, after that, she went further down, like, this downward sp- spirals, and, you know, started experimenting with drugs, had issues with mental health, namely depression... Uh, Marinucci also claimed to have psychotic episodes and hallucinations like and I'm not laughing at mental health here you'll just you'll see why I'm laughing Um, like seeing her dead grandmother okay an expert witness that they brought in basically said yeah no not true so who the fuck lies about that (sighs) Marinucci so she then asks an inmate you know her cellmate actually how to fake being crazy fake yes i don't think she needs to fake it i mean i guess she was trying to sway a jury decision with a solid insanity plea right there are some videos i've seen of marinucci basically being brought into a car or into a courthouse and i mean i'll link it in the show notes but you can see her like holding her head and hunching down like the hunchback of notre dame or the potato of notre dame and you know she's like (laughs) Holding her head down, she's acting like real, like, spazzy, you know? Um, it's, it's as if she's trying to look some kind of way, like, halfway she's acting and she's trying to sift some kind of empathy from an audience, and then the other half she just looks like the hunchback of Notre Dame. It's bizarre. It's almost laughable, to be honest with you. So, it sounds laughable. It is. She looks, she's manipulative yeah. and cold and also aware of her actions, but she's a bad actor for sure. I mean, that's why she belongs to Jerry Springer. So, yeah. The judge said that her actions were incomprehensible and Marinucci was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. There was some pushback as to her sentence because she was 17 at sentencing. Um, in 2012, a Miller versus Alabama case was saying that it was unconstitutional to sentence her as a juvenile to life without parole without first considering all mitigating factors. So Marinucci, you know, appeals her sentence. Um, in 2015, they look at her case and because of her age, she did avoid the death penalty, but she still got life without the possibility of parole. And I say, that's fine. That's a fitting punishment. That's fine. It is. Uh, to this day, no remorse. Uh, She uses what she did to Jennifer as an alpha dog tactic in prison, so she's constantly telling others what she did, right? She just wants to scare everybody. Wow. Uh, February 28th of 2013, Smearns is found guilty on all counts. His background was considered the history of severe mental illness, the abuse he suffered as a child, the allegations of rape, all of those factors. They even looked at everything he had done and the severity of it all. A seriously vulnerable person with the mental age of a 14-year-old who he kidnapped, long periods of torture, and how inhumane all of it was, and the fact that he tried to hide what he had done to her and to her body. Uh, They sentenced him to the death penalty. Uh, Smearns tried to appeal this in 2017, but his ass is glued to death row with a delayed execution date. So... August of 2012, 
Knight's actions were considered equally as heinous as Smyrne's. Uh, he was guilty in all counts, had the most evidence piled against him. He knew this and straight up pled guilty pretty much right away. He was 20 at the time of this. He had no significant history of previous convictions. Uh, the mitigating factors were slim, but the aggravating factors were huge. So the court weighed this out to try to create a balance. And Knight was also sentenced to the death penalty, which he appealed. Why do these people fucking try to appeal it? He appealed, he appealed it in 2020, but he still got his ass also glued to death row waiting for his execution date. Uh, Miller, here's Peggy. Oh, Peggy. Mm. <laughs> eh, they all make me sick. Uh, Miller, yeah, Miller pled guilty and was sentenced to 35 to 74 years in prison. Uh, she had a chance to let Jennifer go, but she didn't. That factor, as well as a few others, deemed her heavily involved and made her about as complicit in this as everyone else because she took part in voting for her death and being involved in the family meetings. Absolutely. And then Masters pled guilty to third-degree murder, conspiracy to commit murder. And, you know, to be real with you, Masters was just as complicit, but if you had to compare, he was like the least complicit. Yeah. Um, but he pled guilty to third degree murder, conspiracy to commit murder, conspiracy to kidnapping, and was sentenced to the lightest of them all, 30 to 70 years. Same as Miller, being involved in the family meetings and such, they may not have physically did what the other four did, but they still allowed it to happen and participated in the conspiracies to be involved and failed to report, which is pretty much mandatory in just about every state. The fact that they didn't report this to police is a huge one because if they had, Jennifer would possibly still be alive today. So they are equally as much involved as the rest. Something came out of all this, though. Yep. Jennifer's law. As a result of all this, Jennifer's law was proposed. It would be a criminal offense to witness a violent crime and not report it. Failure to report the crime would be a misdemeanor violation of the third degree. Here's a quote from Jennifer's sister, Joy Burkholder. Quote, she was exploited and her kindness and her handicap made her very vulnerable. She trusted everybody. She believed everyone was good and no one would hurt her. Quote, end quote. I saw a few interviews with uh, her sister and I've seen a couple of, you know, videos with her parents and it's just, they are such good people. Such amazing people. So sad. <sighs> It took six people, six fucking weak-willed people to murder one intellectually disabled woman who was not harming anyone. These six people must feel so strong and scary and threatening because the six of them murdered one intellectually disabled woman, strung her up like a Christmas tree, made her drink concoctions of urine, shit, bleach, cigarette ashes, all because one of these six pieces of shit was jealous of someone who just wanted friends. How insecure do you have to be as a woman to feel threatened by someone who does not actually want your boyfriend, who is just living their life in pure bliss, just being kind? She was completely defenseless. How incredibly cruel. Did these people actually think they'd be okay to roam the earth after that? Did they actually think that people would want to be their friends after that? Horrific past history on some of these monsters aside, and believe me, I've taken that into consideration, but the empathy for these sick fucks just escapes me. 
what these people did to this woman equally as bad as what pedophiles do to children and or what child murderers do. And not just because of an intellectual disability, these monsters actively planned to torture and kill this woman because some insecure garbage cunt felt threatened and her little maggot infested, crusty ass, foul odor inducing Olympic swimming pool sized vomit and shit breath ass garbage cunt boyfriend was too weak to be all, hey fellow garbage cunt, this isn't working, I'm looking elsewhere. I can imagine, as a mom, as a parent, I would be out for blood after someone had done this to my daughter, so the empathy for her and her loved ones will remain big time. And when I say her and her loved ones, I'm talking about Jennifer Doherty. If you're all looking for me to have empathy for these fuckbags who tortured and murdered Jennifer Doherty, uh, you might as well unsubscribe from this podcast because it ain't happening. This woman was absolutely defenseless. Nature versus nurture. I mean, we can surely argue that. We most certainly can. But even those who have endured the worst of the worst haven't stooped to the level that these people did. There are people who have endured even worse that would still consider these garbage people privileged. I'm sorry you had to deal with what you did when you were young. I truly am. But instead of becoming a better person and realizing that you could have risen above this, you decided to have the, if you can't beat them, join them attitude and completely ruin a whole ass wonderful human and her loved ones. You all are equally as culpable as the monsters you all dealt with. I'm only thankful that you will not do this to anybody else. And Jennifer, she had a chance. She had a chance at life and you stole that from her. As a child, you all were defenseless. I'm truly sorry that you went through what you did, but the fact that you decided to become even worse than the fucking monsters that did what they did to some of you, burn in hell, you garbage fucking potato people. Hashtag roasted like a marshmallow. And served. Wow. What a bunch of sick, sad monsters. And what happened to Jennifer was just tragic. (sighs) So if I had any advice to give anybody, it would be that it's fine to trust people. But not everyone, not everyone is deserving of trust. And usually, like to, like respect, it's to be built, not given willy-nilly. And I mean, this isn't to blame Jennifer at all. No, this is something we all just can learn from. Yeah, be kind, but always watch your back. Yep. I have a quote. You do? Yep. Okay, go for it. You don't fall off the planet once you pass a given age. You don't lose any of your sense of humor. You don't lose any of your zest for life or your lust for life. And this quote, you picked like the perfect quote. I'm telling you. I did. You really did. Do you know who said it? Um, did you get it from that movie, Don't Look Up on Netflix? So is it like Tyler Perry or Leonardo DiCaprio? You're very close, but it's Betty White. Oh my God. <laughs> That was not close at all. Nothing compares. <laughs> but that's, that is fucking perfect for this. Amanda, bravo. Bravo. I know. I had to do a Betty White and that just seemed... Oh, so I'm pretty I'm pretty sure that you got that from Don't Look Up. <laughs> um, so, fine. You're right. Yeah. Okay. So make sure you rate and review us on wherever we can be rated and reviewed. Um... You know, we're looking to increase our visibility and your rates and reviews do help tremendously. Make sure you slap that subscribe button while you're at it. Yep. Also, uh, go hit up our Patreon for exclusive bonus content. Yes, please do. Your support really means so much to us. If it wasn't for you all, we wouldn't be able to improve our content for you. Yes, and we do have links and whatnot. And, you know, that's going to be included at the end of this episode, like always. So, all right. So... Y'all leave vulnerable people alone, being kind to them, 
they probably only want to be your friend and nothing more. Exactly. Rest in peace, Jennifer Doherty, and my love and my positivity goes out to her family and loved ones. And to everyone, don't be a dick. And wear deodorant. Deuces. Okay, bye. Bye. for listening to a nefarious nightmare all research done for this podcast depending on the episode is written by amanda cronin or courtney fenner scripting editing mastering and sound design are done by courtney fenner if you would like to visit our links merch store or social media please either go to www.anefariousnightmare.com or to our link tree that's linktr.ee slash a nefarious nightmare podcast music used for our intro and exit is by ghost stories incorporated you may find their music at bandcamp.com additional backing music for today's episode was provided by epidemic sound please consider leaving us a rating and review on apple podcasts to help us expand our audience thank you very much for listening and take care thanks for listening and remember You never know what's lurking in the shadows, lingering around the corner, walking past your house at night. So watch out, stay safe, and keep listening. This has been The Jury Room.